God's up to something. He's up to something really good. He is. He's up to something good. He's, I can sense there's a stirring. Even in the middle of some of the, the chaos that's in some of our community, He's on the move. We have much to be thankful for, grateful for. As Christie said, Jesus has defeated our enemies. He defeated, he defeated death by submitting to death. He defeated sin by putting it at the cross. And he defeated the evil one and disarmed his authority and power. Father, as we look at the Word this morning, I, I pray that You would be truly the teacher through the Holy Spirit. God, I'm just a vessel. I pray for encouragement. I pray for our faith to grow in Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Before I start, I, w- I, want, I had this thought while we were doing singing worship. You know one thing, besides being an incredibly talented group of folks, you know what marks our worship team? Humility. I've never been, I've been doing ministry a long time, I've been part of worship teams and worship leaders, and we have a humble, humble team of not only the musicians, but the AV team that come and serve sacrificially every Sunday, get here early, early. So can we give them a thank you round of applause? My oldest, older brother, Mike, um, he used to deliver packages for his work. And he's kind of an outdoor nerd, geeky kind of guy. Like, he definitely on his sacred pathways is, um, he's a naturalist. And I remember him telling me a story years ago that he loved the drive heading west on Highway 36 when you get to like the crest of the hill, and then you come down, and you're going towards Boulder, and you all of a sudden can see the flat irons. You guys know what I'm talking about there. And he would get all excited, and he'd have times of prayer and worship. And I'm like, that's cool, man. And he said one day he was, he was driving, and he was coming up the hill, and as he, he was all excited to see the flat irons, and he came down the hill, and clouds were covering all the flat irons. He said the Lord said to him, Mike, are those mount are the flat irons still there even though you can't see them? And he said, Yeah, they are, Lord. And he because I've seen them before. And the Lord said, Well, I'm there when you can't see me as well. And I thought, wow. So I thought I would practice that when I was airplane ride. You get up into the above the clouds on a on a stormy day, and you're flying, and I look out the window and I can't see the, the ground. The Lord says, hey, Scott, is the ground still there? And I say, I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Doubt is something that clouds our faith. It clouds what what we've seen before or what we feel like we can't see it. It it clouds that. But doubt is an inevitable part of the human experience. It's an inevitable part of 
of the life of faith because it's impossible to know everything that God knows and to see everything that God sees. And it's important that we understand that. Doubt is our human response to suffering and trials. We doubt because we go through something difficult, a trial, a suffering, and we go, hmm, is this real? Is God really there? Does He really love me? And I want to say this. If you are in a season of doubt right now, you're in good company. Scripture is filled with people who doubted. And they actually had more tangible evidence than we even do. We see in our, the Bible the stories, and that's what builds our faith and leads us to Jesus. But think about Abraham. He was a friend of God. God told him that he and his wife Sarah were going to have a son at an old age. And when it didn't happen on their terms, they took matters in their own hands, right? They doubted. Think of Moses. Speaking of Moses, he doubted, right? Always questioning. You fast forward to the New Testament, you get John the Baptist. He's the forerunner of Jesus. He's the one who saw Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He baptizes Jesus. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. The Father shouts from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He saw all that, and yet, and he heard about the miracles and things that Jesus was doing. John the Baptist gets thrown into prison for, for preaching Scripture, and he sends his disciples to go to Jesus and say, are you really the one? After all he had experienced, are you really the one? Are you, are you sure? Who's been there? We've all been there. What about the disciples? They walked with Jesus for three years. Walked with Jesus for three years. See the miracles. And after he died on the cross and was resurrected, it says that some still doubted. And we look at that and think, what do you, why would you doubt after you see you knew he died and now he rose again? What you're going to hear me say a lot this morning is going to sound funny and you're going to be tempted to giggle. But... We have a relationship in the life of faith between our whys and our butts. <laughs> our whys and our butts. Should we get the giggle out of the way right now? He, 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 he. Whys and butts. There's a relationship there. Let me give you some examples. Why have I not been healed? Why did you let that person betray me? Why am I depressed? Those are the whys. Here's the buts. But I know you're good and a healer. But you will never betray me. But you are greater than I feel. Whys and buts. We're in a series in the Psalms. Psalms are filled with why God, but you God are good. It's, it's a, there's a relationship that there. And so today we're going to look at Psalm 13. Psalm 13. In the context of Psalm 13, David wrote this when he was on the run from King Saul. King Saul was being removed as king of Israel. David was anointed to be the king of Israel. Saul wanted to do away with David and stay king. He had this hatred for David. And listen with me. that It starts with a why and it ends with a but. <laughs> How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all, all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies, enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted, here's the but, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David had his questions. He had his doubts. God, where are you? And he was just pouring his heart out to God. He was being real with God. God wants you and I to be real with him. He wants us to be honest and not try to... Um, be, we can be vulnerable with God. He, he, is, he loves us unconditionally and perfectly. So what I, the question I want to answer this morning is, what should we do in a season of doubt? Some folks are going through some serious stuff, and the temptation is going to be to doubt. And there's many factors that lead to a season of doubt. I, I've been in seasons of doubt. We all go through that, but as we, as we grow, I think the secret to responding to a season of doubt is the word trust. The word trust. That, that sounds almost like a, a paradox, right? Well, if I'm doubting, how can I trust? We're going to talk about that. I'm going to use the word trust as an acronym to have biblical principles about trusting, growing our faith, and what do we do in, the, in a season of doubt. So the T, the T is this, trust in the sovereign love and character of God. Trust in the sovereign love and character of God. How many times does God get blamed for things that he's not responsible for? We do that because yes, he's almighty and all powerful and sovereign and all of that, but in, 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 He's above everything, and yet we blame him for things like, well, why are there starving children in the world? If God's sovereign. Well, you know what the answer to that is? And don't hear me trying to be harsh to anybody, but it's, it's because people don't feed people. People don't share their stuff. And you get societies and nations and, and world where somebody gets the food, they get the stuff, they want the power. That happened in Haiti when the earthquake happened years ago. And all this money and supplies went into even churches and pastors, and yet they went and hoarded the food so they could have power and sell it. The hum humans are responsible for uh, so much of things that God gets blamed for. So you've got to trust in the sovereign love and character of God. God is good. Fundamentally, God is good. God is love. And God is working when we don't even understand. God takes the garbage of life and He turns it into fertilizer to make us fruitful people. He, he takes the stuff, even our own mistakes, He takes and turns it into fertilizer so that we be fruitful. And the beauty of trusting in God is God is unchangeable. He does not change. That means he's always good, he's, he's always love, and he's always sovereign. Here's what the Apostle Paul, he finishes this 
dissertation, theological dissertation on salvation in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And then he, he says this, he said, who could ever wrap their minds ar- around the riches of God, the depth of his wisdom and the marvel of his perfect knowledge? Who could ever explain the wonder of his decisions or search out the mysterious way he carries out his plans? For who has discovered how the Lord thinks or is wise enough to be the one to advise him in his plans? Or who has ever first given something to God that obligates God to owe him something in return? For out of him, the sustainer of everything came, everything, and now everything finds fulfillment in him. May all praise and honor be given to him forever. Amen. Wow. Two things on this, little sub-points. First of all, God can handle your questions. He doesn't fall off his throne when we ask questions. He's bigger than our questions. Anybody that's ever been a parent or a grandparent, how many know when your kids are little, they ask a lot of questions? Why this? Why that? Why this? Why that? Why? And you're, you, you know, after a while, you're like, I don't know. It's just the sky's blue because it's blue, right? There's some things you just can't answer. But God is our Father. We're His kids. We are growing. He expects questions. He likes questions that come from a, a, an authentic heart, not a, not a heart of anger towards Him, but a heart that is saying, God, this is a mystery to me. Speak to me. Authentic spirituality embraces questions and, and, and mystery. Second thing is God likes to wrestle. How many dads and grandpas in here, right? You like to, you wrestle with your son. Maybe not your daughters or you do it really lightly, right? But fathers and sons, it's just a rite of passage to wrestle with your sons until they get big enough to beat you. Then, then you stop wrestling. <laughs> then you're like, hey, I'm good, man. There's a question that we have to, or a phrase that we have to wrestle with, and it's the phrase, I don't know. There are going to be I don't know things that happen in your life. One of my old colleagues in ministry, his dad was a pastor as well, and his mom caught some kind of weird, had some kind of weird sickness. And towards the end of her life, you know, she was in so much pain that it was just like, why doesn't God just take her? Why is she just sitting here? And uh, I remember he was wrestling so hard. He was mad at God and frustrated. And he asked his dad, he said, Dad, why, why doesn't God just take her? And his dad said, I don't know. And that impacted him. And it, it's impacted me ever since to be able to say, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm going to trust in his sovereign love and the, his character. So w- when you don't get what God allows in your life, trust. Second thing, or our R and our acronym is, remember that you're not responsible for unanswerable questions. If you have a cell phone in your hand, just hold it up to me right now. Do you understand how that cell phone works? Maybe Francisco does, or Kevin, but probably the only two that really understand how you do, 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 it goes to some satellite out in space and comes back and does it in that quick of a second. 
We just we we use things every day that we don't understand. We just use them. The internet, computers, flying in a plane. We just want to get to point A to point B, right? We don't know how all the jet engines work and all of that. We just know we want to get to where we're going. There's a little passage in John 9. It says, Jesus is with his disciples. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Did you catch that? Lord, we got to blame somebody for this man's blindness. Is it him? Is it his parents? Is it a consequence of something? Jesus said, neither. What the disciples were doing is something that I do and something that I'm pretty sure we all do. And we try to control circumstances by figuring things out. I need an answer to why this happened. And when we don't have that answer, it's easy to go into a season of doubt. But we need to give up control. Giving up control of unanswerable questions is a form of faith, in my opinion. It's actually a very form of strong faith. It's not a blind faith. It's, it is, I'm not responsible for unanswerable questions. When my oldest daughter, Chase, was little, I can remember this like it was yesterday, and it definitely wasn't yesterday. She's turning 25 this month. But I remember I was in the kitchen, and she was on our back deck. And I heard this blood-curdling scream from her on the back deck. And I came outside, and she's sitting on her backside with her knee, and there's a big wasp stinger in her knee. And she goes, I got stung! And I'm fixed her up and got the stinger out and she looks at me with tears coming down her eyes and she goes, Dad, why did God make stingers? <laughs> Pretty adorable. I said, well, I could try to give you an answer from National Geographic or whatever, but I don't know. I hate wasps. So they're, they're proof there's a devil, right? Wasps are one of those wasps and grasshoppers. Hey, grasshoppers, man. <laughs> Learning to answer answerable questions puts doubt in its proper place. When you answer the questions that Jesus asks of us, it'll put your doubt in its proper place. On a week before 9-11, I lost a, a dear friend in a car wreck. He was driving to work, and he rolled his truck and died. He was 30-something years old and had a wife. And I remember just going, God, why? Why'd that happen? And I remember the Lord said, I didn't ask you to answer unanswerable questions. But I do ask you to answer two answerable questions. And the two answerable questions are, first of all, who do you say I am? Remember when Jesus was with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, and he says, who do the people say I am? And then he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the king of the universe. 
the sustainer and redeemer of all things. That's what's in that title, Christ. It's a good answer, Jesus said, because that's who I am. So when you have that, when you answer that question with he is the creator, sustainer, redeemer, upholder of all things, your doubt goes to its proper place. The second question he asks is, will you follow me? That's all over Jesus to us. Will you follow me? Will you put me first? Will you let me lead your life? Will you trust me that I got your best interest at heart, even when it seems cloudy, even when you're doubting, trust me? Those two answerable questions put doubt in its proper place. We have to remember what, what Jesus promised and didn't promise. Very important. Third thing, use your doubt to grow your faith. Again, how do I use my doubt to, to grow my faith? Well, think about this. Um, will you put that first painting up for me? You guys know this painting? It's The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. And then his other masterpiece is the Mona Lisa. If you were watching da Vinci paint his masterpieces, as he started, you'd just see, eh, I see some red in the background, or I see this. It doesn't become a masterpiece until it's finished. That's when it's, I'm done. I was talking with Jamie Pander, got to give her a shout out. She's the one that gave me this illustration because we were talking about this. And how you and I are God's masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 literally says that. That you are God's masterpiece, recreated in Christ to do good works. But you're not finished. Nor am I finished. So doubt is going to be part of the process of becoming that masterpiece that God has already told us who we are. And so your faith is not finished. Just as when... Da Vinci started these paintings. It, what, your faith isn't finished just like as he started it. It's growing, it's progressing, and here's what you've got to embrace. Doubts and struggles and trials are going to be part of your faith growing. It's just part of how your faith progresses. You can take her down. <laughs> She'd be staring at us. <clears throat> Bye-bye. couple thoughts on this. Do you guys know who Lee Strobel is? You heard that name. He wrote The Case for Christ and many other books. He was an atheist, a journalist who was an atheist who set out to disprove Christianity as fiction and non-historical and that you can't trust the Bible or the New Testament. Well, on his journey to disprove, he became a follower of Jesus and said the evidence is overwhelming. That Jesus is real and you can trust the New Testament and, and so forth. So, doubt leads to questions. Questions lead to answers. Answers lead to faith. That's why we say in here you can belong before you believe because as you begin to have, have questions and then you get those questions answered, it's going to lead you to a place of faith. We trust the process. We trust in, in the gospel and the Holy Spirit. But then secondly, faith leads to convictions, and convictions lead to a changed life. 
When you get to that place of faith, then you're going to be convinced of something. And that convictions lead to a transformed, changed life. How did Peter go from the guy who made all these bold statements to Jesus of what he was going to do, and then he cowers down on the night Jesus is betrayed, even to a little small girl who said, you're with the Messiah, you're with him, you're with that guy Jesus. I am not. How did he go from that guy who was a coward to being martyred and the way he was martyred was to be crucified and he said I'm not worthy to be crucified like my my Lord I want to be crucified upside down like he went from courage from um, a coward to courageous faith and didn't it was bold well his doubt grew his faith as he un- began to understand who Jesus really was the S in our acronym, what to do in a season of doubt, how do we trust? Well, we separate our feelings and circumstances from what's true. It's not always easy to do. Feelings come and go. Feelings are a roller coaster ride. Circumstances can slap you across the face like that when you aren't ready for it. I was like, but what? News or did something happen, an accident circumstances. I remember when I got baptized when I was a brand new follower of Jesus. And the night that I got baptized, I had written a song for Jesus and played it at church and got baptized. And I was on this high, this spiritual, emotional high. And about a week later, I found myself in this funk going, is this even real? Am I any different? How do I know? And I went into this little season of doubt. And then I read 2 Corinthians 5, 7. says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Or we live by believing and not by seeing. And I realized I'm relying on, just like in a, you have a relationship, you first start getting infatuated with someone you get the little Googles, right? You, get the, you think about them, and it's like, Twitter-pated is what we call it, right? When you first follow Jesus, often we're Twitter-pated. We got the Googles. This is different, man. I'm in. And he, he likes that. And those feelings, feelings are good, but feelings don't make a relationship, right? Commitment and faithfulness make a relationship. And after a while, you got to learn to walk by faith not by feelings or by circumstances. It's hard to do. I get it. It's easier to depend upon feelings and circumstances. But you've got to ask yourself the question, what is true? How do I know God loves me? If I depend on the little Twitter-pated, then that can come and go. But I know God loves me because Jesus died on a cross for me. That determines His love for me. He gave his life to give us life. That's what determines his love. So when you're in a season of doubt, separate your feelings and circumstances from what is true. And then lastly, thank God for your weakness. And you could put in parenthesis next to weakness, your struggles, your doubt, your trials, whatever you're going through. Two amazing statements the Apostle Paul made that are are married together. One in 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 5, he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Am I supposed to thank God for cancer? Am I supposed to thank God for betrayal? No. You're supposed to thank Him because He's working behind those things. God hates cancer. God hates death. God hates betrayal. But He's experienced every pain we've experienced. Jesus went through it. He went through the storm. He went into the depth of the pit so that He could triumph over all the things that bring fear and shame to our life. He did that because He loves us. Man, it's amazing to ponder. We can give thanks in all circumstances because Romans 8.28 says, For we know that God works for the good in all things for those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. The reason we give thanks is because God, you don't call this situation good. You don't call cancer good. You don't call betrayal good. You're going to work it for good. That's a faith statement. He's going to work it. He works all things. I'm not a Greek scholar, but the Greek word for all means all. <clears throat> it does. It means all. So he works everything, every struggle, every doubt, every failure. I'm not telling you to go fail on purpose, but you're going to fail. And when you do, he works it for good. That's the beautiful thing of it. Paul was an amazing man. And he writes the, the Corinthian church a second letter. We call it 2 Corinthians. And he's having to, he's hurt. If you ever read 2 Corinthians, he is very hurt by some of the things that they had been saying. Some false teachers had come in behind Paul and told the Corinthian church that he wasn't legit and he wasn't really an apostle and all this kind of stuff. So he's having to like give his credentials to this people whom he loves deeply. And he's so wounded by their questioning of him and He's trying not to be defensive, but he is to some degree. And he begins to share with them in chapter 12 about this experience that he had where he went to heaven. He doesn't give a ton of details, but he says that he saw things in heaven and heard things that he couldn't even speak of. It was so glorious. And he goes on to tell, tell them, he says, So to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Been there? Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. We want to be strong. He's saying when you're weak, you're at your strongest. God does His best work in and through us when we're at our weakest points. Because it's Him working through us. Now, when he says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, that's an important thing because you, you can mis, misuse that. But it's a, it's a Jewish idiom or, or uh, allegory 
of the children of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years. And God said, I'm giving you this land, but you got work to do. You're going to have to drive out the inhabitants, the people that, that are already there. You're going to have to drive them out. We got work to do. And it's definitely a literal, but yet a shadow, type and shadow of our lives. Of when we go and go, we're not at the promised land yet. We haven't crossed the Jordan. So we're still battling to get there and drive out the inhabitants. That's sanctification. That's growing in Christ's likeness. I don't want to try to over-spiritualize that, but there is a picture of that there. When you go to Numbers 33, verse 55, it says, but if you fail to drive out the people who live in the promised land, those who remain will be like splinters in your eyes, say it with me, and thorns in your sides. They will harass you in the land where you live. They had work to do still. So when you think of the thorn, the difficulty, the trial, you can thank God because He's working in and through you. His power is going to be on display in your life. Two things about that. Our struggles... Our doubts, our trials, are reminders that we're not in the promised land yet. Every time you go through a difficulty, we get sick, even get a cold. It's a reminder, I'm not there yet. There will not be any sickness or colds or COVID or any of this cancer in, in the promised land. And the promised land is heaven. This is why, why we ask why when we go through trials and struggles is because we're not there yet. But let's be honest, we want this to be heaven, this life. We do. And when something goes wrong, we go, what's going on here? Why? The why is we have to always remember this ain't heaven. The harder we try to make this heaven, the more struggles and doubts we're going to have. The more we accept that heaven is in the life to come the more we'll take on the battles and trials and struggles that we go through in this life. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have trials and sorrows of many kind. He's honest. I love that about our Lord. He's honest. He said, listen, you're going to go through stuff. But take courage. I've overcome the world. That's the beauty of it. Every time we run into one of these reminders that we're not in the promised land, we have to remember that it's a done deal. He finished his work. He defeated sin, death, and the devil. But we'll fully experience it in the life to come. We're learning to experience it in this life. It will be fully experienced on the other side. In the same letter, the Apostle Paul says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Those reminders that we're not there yet. And remember this too. Eternity with Jesus is the promised land. Eternity with Jesus. The presence of the Father. That's the promised land. This isn't the promised land. This world, this earth is groaning 
Romans 8 says. It's groaning for redemption as well. Our job right now as followers of Jesus is to love well. To love one another well. To love the world around us. To share the good news of what Jesus did. We don't make it good news. It's already good news. And we share it with the world. C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I'm made for another world. You are made for another world. So when you're asking the why question, answer with, but I'm made for another world. Why is this happening? But I'm made for another world. We have to always remember that. So what I want to do, we're going to go into a song in a second to respond, but write down or think about right now, what's your why? What's your doubt? What's your trial? What's your struggle that you're dealing with? What's your fear? Which of these points in our trust acronym are you going to have to put into action? Maybe it's all. But maybe one specifically the Lord maybe spoke to you about. It was on my heart that we respond to our doubts with faith and, and trust. And our faith is built as we meditate on the promises of God. So many awesome promises that are made in the scriptures that Jesus made, that the epistles make, the psalmist promises about God. And so what I want to challenge each of us to do is to this week memorize Romans 8, 38 and 39. And made it easy enough for you that there is a card that's going to be on the table as you, a uh, little table as we go out the door, made a little business card that has this set of verses. Maybe you can put it on your dashboard, put it on your mirror or something, but take this little card as a takeaway and memorize this. Let's memorize this together and see what God does. Will you read it with me? Let's read it. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing one more song of worship and it's a new song. I wanted to do this song for probably about a year and when I read the psalm that we're talking about today I was like wow you know just thinks and uh, made me think about it the chorus talks about two specific things of another in the fire standing next to me another in the water holding back the sea and I thought it was perfect that you know the story of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they were put into the fire for their for their devotion to God for their worship of God and at a moment's notice, he could have sent angels to stop it all, but he didn't. But instead, he met them right there. He was there with them through the trial, through the situation, protecting them, covering them. And it showed with their faith, and they were saved. And then another in the water, you know, 
Jesus once again on the boat with the disciples. He could have held back the storm. He could have stopped it. But instead, he was right there with them. And that's how our faith is built, like Scott was talking about. It's through those trials, through those times of doubt, that we build our trust even more. So as we sing this today, let that just be our prayer to God, that God, no matter what's going on, no matter what doubt, no matter what faith, trust, problems that I'm having, God, know that you're there no matter what, and you'll never leave us alone. talk about the wrong Bible story, you know? <laughs> There's a grace when the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing And when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire Standing next to me There was another in the waters Holding back the seas And should I ever need reminding Of how
Some of you are in the middle of the fire right now, but Jesus never said we wouldn't go through struggles, but he did promise he would walk with us. We don't need anything else. We got him walking with us. It's not easy. It's easy to say when you're not in a struggle, but it's still true. It's not cliche. It's not a band-aid. He is going to see you through, and he's got something better, always. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you sent your eternal son to become one of us, to show us what you're like, Father, to show us what you want us to be like, and to sacrifice himself to defeat the enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. Thank you for your triumph in your son. Thank you, Father, that we're on your heart. Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for your eternal presence with us. I pray for you to comfort and encourage those that are in a season of doubt because of trials and struggles and difficulties that life has brought. Increase our faith, Lord. Help us in our unbelief. We believe, help us in our unbelief, Lord. Thank you for your love. And thank you for one another. I thank you for this church family who loves each other well. I pray for anyone in this room that feels lonely, that they would, you would find connection through the Lord and through one another. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you want someone to pray.